Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Vents. This is Fed Weekly. A collaboration between Vice and Brent 2020. London Borough of Culture. Let's get it cracking. Amelia. Santos. Vent Weekly. I don't drink or smoke or take drugs, but during lockdown it got to a point where I think everyone was trying to find out what crafts they were good at. And one of my friends is good at making edibles. So I thought, why not? Let me try it. But like, I haven't got a job to go to. And I did it. And I slept for 22 hours. So I'm definitely not going to be doing that again. Today, we're joined by Vice's global drugs editor, Max Daly, to talk about how COVID-19 has affected the global drug trade. Can you introduce yourself? Hello, uh, my name is Max Daly and I am Global Drugs Editor at Vice. So first of all, when did you start noticing the impact of COVID on the drug market and scene? I started noticing the changing scene in, I suppose, over April. Um, So I was kind of keeping my eye on it. I didn't want to jump in too soon to write something because you never know. You'll hear something from someone saying, oh, cocaine is double the price, but then someone somewhere else would say the opposite. So I needed to spend a bit of time mm-hmm. just kind of, kind of sucking it all in, do you know what I mean? Breathing it all in. Mm. And and I, th- and I think, you know, obviously you've got different angles of this. You've got the, the, the different drugs people are using and how is that changing, the different prices... Obviously, in lockdown, the big question is how the hell are people buying drugs? Um, yeah, but, I was going to ask mm-hmm. that as well. Yeah. Obviously, I know that drugs have to be moved from like people at the top and filter it down. But because of like the lockdown and everything, has it been like quite difficult for people to maintain like the money that they were making in terms of selling drugs as well? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the whole question is, is right from mm. right from the type of drugs that people actually want to use on lockdown, right uh, way down the line to where the drugs are made, you know, in Colombia and Afghanistan. And, you know, it, it's impacted everything, you know, this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe let's start in um, in terms of the, from the users and what they are demanding, you know, like, because obviously if on lockdown everyone was stuck in their homes, all the clubs and the bars are shut. So that really influences the type of drugs that people were using, and wanting to buy, um, and so, for, so for example, like say, uh, sales of cocaine and ecstasy started to fall. So less people were interested in getting out of it on pills and and coke because those are sort of drugs that are associated with going out and having a party. Yeah, like party drugs. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. E- exactly, and clubbing drugs. So when the clubs shut, 
Um, doesn't mean everyone just carries on taking ecstasy like in their toilet or whatever. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. So so I think so. A lot of the dealers were telling me, and a lot of the users as well um, were telling people who did do surveys on this that they were using a lot less ecstasy and cocaine. That doesn't mean that no one was using it because people were using some of these drugs, but they they just kind of went down in popularity. And the drugs that went up in popularity are drugs that are more suited to kind of chilling out at home. So weed was like hugely grew yeah. in popularity. A lot more people mm. smoking weed and a lot of dealers really struggling to come up with supplies. It was like the toilet roll of the drug world in lockdown. Yeah. You know, um, everyone suddenly had to get weed because they were indoors and they were kind of or in their gardens or they were going for a little bit of a stroll in the local park, you know, on exercise hour or whatever it's called. So it's sort of, <laughs> and, and it's the same with benzos as well, you know, it's, you know, Valium type drugs. It was drugs that yeah. sort of got a little pe- people sort of just relaxed and chilling and, and almost like taking up time really. And then obviously mm. the, the question is, you know, well, how, how did they buy them? If the streets are sort of deserted apart from the odd sort of, person walking about and the old jogger whatever how how are they buying drugs and i think i think people did you know drug dealers are very sort of savvy and and entrepreneurial people so where there is a will there is a way Mm. and drug dealers carried on doing their business so they so a lot of them were dressing up in sort of jogging outfits and jogging gear and sort of using their sort of hourly or daily exercise routine to go around delivering drugs so that people people would meet up in in parks or they'll meet up in a street um obviously someone might just knock around you know a lot of house to house deliveries and also people would use, I mean, I, I wrote a story in the uh, beginning of May about how a lot of um, dealers were dressing up also as, as sort of delivery drivers and nurses. Um, so they were sort of just kind of... Crazy. Going, yeah, yeah, kind of going undercover in a way, but sort of having reasons, you know, in case they are stopped or in case people look at them suspiciously, they had a sort yeah. of, hey, look, I'm I'm a pizza delivery guy or, uh, or do you know what I mean? So they, they, they thought up some quite clever way so crafty yeah a bit very yeah. crafty and so they're sort of certainly buying drugs and selling drugs did not come to a halt during lockdown it still carried on obviously slightly changed and people had to be a little bit more sneaky and a bit more clever about how they did it mm. but it did it yeah. carried on prices did go up a little bit because for sort of two different reasons one was that the dealers sort of thought they could put the prices up anyway because as soon as the users get a little bit more kind of slightly more desperate or have a little less choice or want it a bit more Mm -hmm. it means that sellers you know it's like basic economics you know sellers can bump the price up yeah the demand's there yeah exactly exactly you know especially with all the people wanting weed and so they they could put the price up a little bit. And then obviously, as the lockdown continued and continued, supply did start kind of becoming more difficult in some areas. So it was harder to get kind of cocaine and and weed moved around the country and pills and whatever, because, you know, it was it was harder to transport these things, you know, into ports, there was obviously much less air traffic going on. It, obviously, a lot of these drugs and the chemicals that are used to make these drugs come from China, which was the first country to be hit by this. So that sort of did hit a lot of distribution. And I know that the um, Mexican cartels who make a, or a lot of the fentanyl 
and the methamphetamine that that serves the US market, a lot of them sort of people, we interviewed some of them and they said that they were hit by some of the uh, lack of chemicals coming from China. So all along the line, right from sort of China and Colombia through Europe and the ports and the airplanes, there was a sort of a problem with supply. So um, mm. at every level along the chain, right from your local street cocaine dealer or street weed dealer to your wholesaler, you know, someone who buys kilos of coke to people smuggling it in the country, all the prices sort of did go up along the way because one, people think that they thought that they could put up the prices anyway because it was a strange lockdown pandemic craziness, but also because there was a, a problem with supply in reality as well. So you mentioned how like this global pandemic has affected basically every aspect of the drug trade. Yeah. When the pandemic is over, do you think that the drug trade is going to like just come back like stronger than it's ever been? Or do you think it's going to like gradually get back on its feet? The drug trade has probably weathered the pandemic storm better than most businesses. You know, we've done quite a lot of reports in Vice. We interviewed a Liverpool drug gang who ran county lines, uh, operations around the country over lockdown. And they said that although there were some sort of problems, you know, communicating with their runners in Cornwall and Devon was sometimes problematic. Sometimes they got some of their stashes stolen and they couldn't go and administer punishment beatings to people because they didn't want to risk go out, going out there themselves. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, so people, you know, had to change the way they do things and it was tough. But in the end, the Liverpool drug gang we spoke to said, well, actually, over lockdown, we made more money than usual. And, yeah. and I suppose that was more demand, more people wanting drugs. And, and also even in Europe, like the Italian mafia took advantage of COVID because they realised that a lot of people are, don't have a lot of money. And so what they did is they, they started buying up businesses when people were desperate to sell them. So the Italian mafia mm. actually um, did very, very well out of the pandemic, as did the cartels. I think that was the same in Mexico. The cartels were handing out food packages to people who were very poor and who didn't have any right. jobs anymore. So they, it's almost like community relations. So mm -hmm. when governments fail and when systems fail, local mafias and organised criminals sort of take advantage of that. You kind of touched on, you know, that like the market will definitely change in terms of um, the drugs that people want, because obviously there are certain drugs that are associated with a certain type of scene. Mm -hmm. How do you feel as though generally drug dealers have had to adapt to that change? Like, is it is it a lot harder for them to supply people with what they actually want nowadays? Or do you feel as though it's just kind of stayed the same? Over lockdown, the police in Europe um, managed to hack into the basically WhatsApp for criminals, um, which is called EncroChat, which is how all the big organised criminals communicated with each other across Europe. So, oh, wow. um, And the police managed to hack into that. And so they made huge number of arrests across Europe, especially in the UK. So a lot of organised criminals actually got arrested during, just so happened to be arrested during lockdown, although it was actually nothing to do with lockdown itself. So, right. so even that big hit, you know, I think in the UK, almost 800 people, it's quite high level organised criminals mm. were arrested over the last two months. Uh, even with that huge hit, still the drug 
supply continues and still mm-hmm. after as as we sort of coming out of lockdown and as people are meeting up more in pubs then you start to see you know these illegal raves happening and block parties start to happen so ob- yeah it's been hella block parties around where i live as well yeah so 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 obviously yeah. in those block parties and in those illegal raves in the forest and the countryside and and all <laughs> that people aren't sort of like drinking Coca-Cola and eating packets of crisps. Do you know what I mean? So, again, I, yeah, think, I think the drug trade, again, is, is started to build up the more that people hook up with each other and meet up, and then it won't be that long until clubs are open again. And and then yeah. the, the return of the, the ecstasy market, which, you know, ecstasy is one of the sort of, I think, the third most popular drug in this country. Yeah, yeah it is really popular. During lockdown, have there been any new ways people have found to buy drugs in terms of the users? There's dead drops. So it's people leaving drugs under, say, bushes. So then it's like, you know, you text, it's like under the bin on kind of Carlingham Street or whatever. There's also, you know, people posting it through letterboxes. There's people using cabs. I think uh, taxi drivers have been very, very busy over lockdown, ferrying drugs around. Sometimes they don't know it, sometimes they do. Mm-hmm. Some dealers that I spoke to have been, you know, washing the kind of packages of drugs and, you know, with, with sort of sterile wipes. And, they're, they're, you know, because some of them are, are really scared of getting uh, the virus themselves. So they've obviously had to change the way that they they work. I think for for the uh, county lines dealers, you know, the, 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 they're in a more difficult situation because they're dealing with people who often heroin and crack users who, you know, they're less bothered about their health and um, and all that stuff. So, so I think those county lines kids really have been at, at, at high risk. A lot of drugs and stuff like that are organised through gangs. Mm-hmm. Has there been like an increase or decrease in terms of like gang violence during the pandemic? Um, I think it was around you know, April, May, I, I was started noticing that there were lots of violent stuff going on. I mm-hmm. think there was, a, in about two weeks, there was, I remember a guy getting stabbed in front of a shopping mall oh, wow. in, um, in, somewhere in the Midlands, in Birmingham, I think it was. Yeah. Then there was these little kids stabbed in, in okay. the Midlands as well. So it really seemed to be kicking off in the Midlands and in London. What people were saying is that uh, there were a lot of areas particularly in like more suburban but quite poor areas where a lot of people were still especially young people were still gathering on the streets but no one really sort of cared or no, or the police didn't even take notice of them so i think to a lot of com- communities the lockdown didn't apply they were still yeah. going out kind of dealing drugs getting into fights kind of getting into beefs with each other messing about on the street corner getting really high they almost like they probably they probably didn't even know what coronavirus was i mean that's probably exaggerating actually no but you know what yeah i feel like you've made like a really interesting point though about mm. how like in certain areas i feel like the lockdown didn't apply yeah. when you live in like a so- lower socioeconomic area you're going to have to go and like get money because obviously if you don't like receive any kind of government help um, financially and stuff like that. You you notice that in a, in a lot of these areas, which are predominantly like dominated by black and Asian communities, etc., they're gonna have to go and work. So, like you said, that like, the lockdown doesn't apply, and I feel like for a lot of people, their hustle or their mainstream of income was drug dealing. So it doesn't even shock me that in some areas, 
Some people are not even aware of the virus. One reason why a lot of um, black and Asian people were disproportionately affected by COVID was like the, the sort of the frontline front worker element of things, as in they are the people who are working on the front line, doing deliveries, doing the kind of hand-to-hand, working in the shops, the, uh, the hospital, mm, yeah. hospitals and all that stuff. And it's the same goes with drug dealers. You know, I mean, like, you know, there are a disproportionate in some parts of the country um, mainly in poor sort of urban areas, there are a disproportionate number of um, young people who who are black and Asian who sell drugs because because mm-hmm. they are sort of locked out of the mainstream economy for reasons of poverty, racism, whatever, inequality. And yeah. they are the people who need to earn a living from mm-hmm. doing illegal things like selling drugs. Um, and mm-hmm. and so, th- so I reckon there, there will have been a lot of people who sell drugs who probably did catch it that we don't know about. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So I lost my job during lockdown and I wasn't entitled to furlough or any sort of support despite being there for a good amount of time. And it's been very difficult because I live on my own. I pay all my own bills and the rent and things like that. So it's been long trying to get back on my feet due to the unemployment crisis because literally nowhere's hiring. Um, despite my skill set, I feel like I could be a valuable asset to teams, but no one wants me. So I'm a little stressed out. So during lockdown, a lot of people faced unemployment. Do you think some of those people could have decided to start dabbling in in the drug trade just to kind of just to mm. keep them afloat during the lockdown? Definitely, the drug trade is the one of the top two or three illegal trades that people get into if they when they lose their jobs. Countless times I've I've seen newspaper articles or interviewed people myself who who say, you know, look, I got, I decided to get into dealing XX drug after I got made redundant or after I lost my job because I had to, you know, I couldn't find any other job. And to me, this seemed like the easiest way of earning money, which was, mm-hmm. I don't know, growing yeah. some cannabis plants in their attic or selling weed or selling coke or whatever. It's a natural way of earning money in any sort of circumstance when people lose their jobs, but certainly during the pandemic... I would imagine there's loads of people. I just wanted to get your opinion about like countries where certain drugs may be legal or decriminalized. I guess the the same kind of demand applies there, but I feel like it would be more but just because it's legal and it might be decriminalized, it's seen as more casual there. Would you agree with that or would you say COVID-19 hasn't really impacted those places? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, in the in the states in America where weed is legal and um, in Canada, um, I'm pretty sure, actually, because 
um, cannabis in those countries is sold as a sort of medicinal product, you know, for people who have pain and stuff like that. I th- I'm pretty sure, actually, it was a um, it was deemed a, a kind of a, a necessary product to buy so people could still deliver it and buy it even during the lockdown. And in fact, yeah, I, I interviewed a, um, a cannabis delivery driver who worked in one of the states in America about um, his job and how how the streets were absolutely deserted. But he, him and his mates were in their van going around delivering cannabis to everyone. Who do you feel like is benefiting from the changes that the pandemic has kind of brought about? Do you feel like it's actually the consumers who are benefiting from it? Or do you feel as though it's actually the sellers who are losing out on this or benefiting from it like what's your kind of take on that i think it's it's the usual story i suppose it's like the people making the money are the ones who are sort of benefiting it because it's it's a sort of you know it's a it's capitalism the drug trade Mm -hmm. and they're the ones who can kind of really call the shots i've interviewed a lot of drug dealers they're They've been fine over lockdown. They've still managed to get rid of their product. Probably they mm-hmm. probably earn a bit more money because they bump the price up, and they they've already learned lessons for the next time something like this happens. Which is, you know, for example, mm. right, we've got to make sure we've stocked up a lot of weed for the next sort of lockdown. So so drug dealers all around the country will be thinking, right, we need to. We need to stock up on stashes of weed. They would have learned from it and they would already be thinking, right, if this lockdown happens again, this is how we're going to make even more money. Mm-hmm. And, and I suppose for the users, they might start thinking, right, I don't want to be left in a position where it's really tricky for me to find drugs and to source drugs and my usual dealer might not be around. So I'm going to have to rely on dealer who I don't really know very well, which is always a bit of a risky because they could be they could be an arsehole, they could be someone who rips you off mm-hmm. or gives you rubbish weed. Mm. So that's that's an annoying position for a, a, a drug user to be in. They want to have a reliable yeah. supplier. So what they will probably do, again, in fear of, a, mm-hmm. of another sort of situation like this, they might stock up. Now, that kind of sounds sensible and everything, but the problem with stocking up mm-hmm. um, is because drugs are criminalised in this country, then the more you get found with, the more likely you will go to jail. Mm-hmm. So it could prove dangerous, you know, especially yeah. for Class A drug users, people who use cocaine or MDMA or heroin or whatever. If you're stocking up on that, yeah, if you do get caught buying that larger amount, then you're going to get more severely punished. Yeah. Comparing how things have gone in Canada and the US in terms of the weed industry and here... You know, it, obviously, it's it's much better for people who really do need weed for medical reasons to carry on getting it through a legal, reliable supply rather than what's happens in this country where they have to take yeah. even more risks trying mm. to get hold of the weed that they need to, to treat them, treat themselves. Do you feel like, although it, the, one of the dangers is being caught with a large amount, is more likely you go to prison, but... Do you think that when these consumers do have a large amount in front of them, they end up using the drug a lot more than they would, especially during lockdown when they're at home and they don't have much to do? I think that can kind of transform that because you can have someone who casually, socially smokes weed and then, you know, now they're in the lockdown and it's like they're smoking weed almost every day. You know, at the end of lockdown, they probably will have that habit. And I feel like that is something that can 
also be dangerous. Yeah, I totally agree. Part of the reason why weed sales have gone up is is because people are smoking a lot more of it. And a lot, a lot more people are smoking a lot more of it, including people who are kind of regular users anyway. Everyone's sort of consumption has gone up. Yeah. Um, and you're right, if you've got a, a big stash in front of you, if you've got a big load of it, you're more likely to use it quicker than if you were slowly sort of eking out day by day little bits. Mm-hmm. And I think the same's happened with alcohol as well. You know, I think a lot of people have reported increased alcohol use and obviously, buying alcohol has not been a problem. And, you know, people can buy sort of as much as they want, really. But I think definitely people have been stocking up on alcohol and and sort of binge drinking. And so I mm-hmm. think there's going to be a lot of people coming out of this lockdown with, with drinking problems or almost kind of people becoming alcoholics. And in the same way, I think there will be a lot of people coming out of um, this with a weed problem you know people who are just smoking too much and too reliant on it people smoke it to help with anxiety but also it can cause anxiety so how do you feel like um do you have any like predictive permanent changes for the whole industry i think the main thing is is that the weaker the society is in terms of the weaker governments are the uh, the less jobs people have the more unemployed people there are the less organized the governments are the the more pandemic hits society in general i think sort of because the drug trade is connected to organized crime it becomes uh organized criminals becomes more powerful therefore production and distribution of drugs becomes easier and it becomes these these organizations become richer they can afford more drugs they can afford to produce more drugs distribute more drugs they can afford to lose more drugs if they get found Mm -hmm. they go like brush it off like who cares we've got another million pills over here Mm -hmm. and then that trickles down into the drug trade and so then you get more people possibly using more drugs over the lockdown and pandemic and becoming possibly addicted to drugs so you've got more people selling drugs. And so so that whole trade becomes a lot more powerful and uh, more, more of a problem for the rest of society. What about those drug addicts who were already addicted to a drug going into the pandemic and then all of a sudden there's like they, they're struggling to get their supply? Do we feel that people who are already addicted might get a big stash and they might end up overdosing? Or do you think people may see it as an opportunity to kind of get clean and like change their lives? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. And I I agree. We we interviewed a heroin user over lockdown to ask him kind of what his experiences were. I think he was really scared of going cold turkey, i.e. stopping taking heroin during Mm -hmm. lockdown because Mm -hmm. it's such a... A dangerous thing to do, as in it caused so much sort of pain and and all this kind of stuff, and yeah. such a big threat to their health that they they were worried that they might have to go cold turkey um, without any sort of medical help or anything like that. I mean, he ended up getting his getting his dealer back, and it was all he ended up getting his supply. But he did reflect on wow, maybe this is actually a good time for me to stop using drugs because mm. you're almost you're almost sort of forced into it. You know, the reason a lot of people do end up giving up long, long-term long drug addictions is something pushes them out of the, 
the cycle, um, whether mm-hmm. it's sometimes for some people it's having a child, um, for some people is the death of a friend or relative, yeah. so, for some people it's a health scare, and for some people it, it, it's simply they can't get hold of their yeah, drugs. Yeah, no more access, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so I reckon there will be some people... Probably more, more people living in more remote parts of the country. If you live in London or Manchester or Liverpool, you will always be able to find a dealer somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I think there will be some people in some parts of the world, in remote parts of the country, who just simply will not have been able to get hold of drugs. They would be sort of forced, in a way, to go sort of cold turkey. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you're right. Although for some people, their drug use might have gone up, particularly things like alcohol, weed and benzodiazepines... I think for others, I think they they might have stopped using drugs altogether. But then there's this balance, you know, what we're talking about. The, the, the lockdown could have driven addiction and it also could have stopped it. But thank you so much for speaking to us. Um, that's been really interesting. It was really interesting the last time we spoke to you yeah. as well. So like, good to speak to you again. Thank you, Max. Brilliant. Thanks both of you. Thanks both of you for um, loads of really interesting discussion and questions. So, Amelia, did you know about any of the stuff Max was telling us or is this all new to you? I feel like some of it caught me off guard in terms of like how um, successful many dealers still are during the pandemic. The stuff about um, the Italian mafia buying out businesses and stuff, like, like it's crazy, isn't it? Because mm. you're, like, I know for a fact in Italy, like, there are probably... Like, some of those restaurants and bars have been passed down through families for generations. Right. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I have Italian friends in it, so I know how passionate they get about food and stuff. <laughs> These dealers and consumers are just finding new ways to keep doing what they're doing. Thanks a lot for listening to Vent Weekly. I've been Santos. And I've been Emilia. And thanks a lot to Max for coming on. This episode was produced by the Vent production team. Jess Lawson, Amelia Gill, Moeed Majid and Ali Adlington. Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent London Borough of Culture 2020. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.